global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I wanted to begin the broadcast with a simple declaration and statement of divine truth. And yes, I said divine truth. While this is not a quotation from the Bible, this is a quotation that is as true as anything that you'll ever hear. Because indeed, Thomas Jefferson, in July of 1776, when he wrote these words... Where did he get the idea from that all men are created equal? Well, of course, the Bible was 1,700 years ahead of its time when the Apostle Paul said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, for all are one in Christ Jesus. We all have the same humanity as children of him. That's a radical concept, not common throughout human history. It found its way into this Declaration of Independence that I just read. And I should give you some facts about that because I know I've seen the man on the street uh, quizzes that people do in trendy areas at the beaches and so on. And, you know, what are we celebrating here on this July 4? No idea. When was America's independence? 1960? No idea. So we have a generation that has come up in the public school system that has indoctrinated them with a version of history that includes, well, I'll just save that for another time. I used to teach history, and I would look at the textbooks, and I would look at the the curriculum guides, and I would look at the uh, scope and sequence and all of the different standards that you're supposed to cover, and just absolutely horrified with the lack of historical literacy and the basis of this country's founding that's being taught. So I would always toss that out in my public school history class and teach according to what we know is biblically prophesied truth. And why did I say biblically prophesied? I want to tell you a little bit of a story in this segment, and then we'll get into the news in the next segment. But we're celebrating something huge today. July 4, 1776 is a national holiday, July 4 of every year, we celebrate what happened in 1776, the national holiday of the foundation of this country. And why is that important? Is that just some sort of nationalistic, tribalistic, you know, this is my people, I'm red, white, and blue, unthinking, you know, fervor? Well, a lot of that nonsense throughout history has led to bloodshed and violence. We want to affirm everybody's humanity, no matter what flag they fly. But there's a reason that 
the American flag and the American principles have been such an inspiration around the globe. Because the founders of this country were deriving their ideas, even though many of them were deists and not Christians, the ideas nonetheless came from Christianity, from the very character of God, for he is a God of freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. God is a God of love. And therefore, he wants free will, obedience, service, and worship from his children. And these principles at the core of the heart of God are where we derive the ideas of religious liberty from. Freedom of conscience comes from the idea that God wants every sentient being, every thinking, intelligent creature to choose him freely. And we take so for granted this freedom. Human beings throughout history have scarcely ever had the kinds of freedoms we have today. And so I want to tell you a little bit of that history of how we got to the point where we have these cherished principles that we just read here. It goes way back into the dark, the dark ages. During the time of the Dark Ages, Christianity ruled Europe with an iron fist under the Roman papacy. The kings of Europe many times even intimidated under the authoritarian dictates of the man who claimed to be God on earth, the Pope. The popes, the kings of Europe, stripped people of all of their human natural rights, that all men are created equal, these, these unalienable rights that are undeniable it's self-evident to anybody that it's a violation of somebody to come in and take away their property in an unjust manner, to prohibit them from speaking their thoughts, their views, their beliefs, and most of all, to take away someone's God-given right to choose to study the Bible for themselves, to believe in Jesus as he is leading them in their individual spiritual life. That concept of freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, was absolutely foreign to the Dark Ages world of Europe. It was the Roman Catholic power structure, the priest class of Europe, that was the only game in town. If you were trying to dissent, well, there was one place for you, the stake, where you would be burned alive. Or you would be oppressed like the inspiring Waldenses, often the Mountains in the, in the valleys of the Piedmont Valley, right under the nose of the Vatican. And I'll tell you something about those people. You know, the Declaration of Independence also talks about how governments are instituted to secure rights. And so the, the just and correct purpose of government is to keep order in society, to punish wrongdoers. And what it means, that's what it says in Romans 13. And a wrongdoer is somebody who is violating somebody else, right? Assaulting them, uh, engaging in deception in contracts and in fraud, in uh, bearing false witness in courts, uh, in, 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 in marriage contracts. I mean, you just go right down the list of the last of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear, bear false witness, etc. These are the province of the civil government to keep people in order. And the Waldenses were going, hey, wait a minute, we don't have freedom here to worship as the apostolic traditions that were handed down with the scriptures, knowing the primitive, original, ancient church and, and how it conducted itself. And everything we're seeing here, it's just, it's just like baptized 
paganism that's just this Christianized version of the ancient Roman Empire. And so they dissented from that, the Waldenses did, from very early on. And you might say, just as Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence, where, where governments are destructive to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, it is the right and the duty of the people to release themselves from those bonds and binds. Now, of course, the American revolutionaries believed that it was a violent revolution that would, that would accomplish that. And certainly God works through that throughout human history. I don't think we should take our cues from that as Christians today and say, you know what, this federal government, New World Order, they're, they're out of control and these elites are oppressing people, so we're going to take up arms and have a, have a violent revolution. I think that's, that's foolish and, and not what Jesus is calling us to. He says our citizenship is in heaven. And so that's where our ultimate allegiance and loyalties lie. But I speak of our nation today, the United States of America, because the principles are so pure and true and biblical. And this history is divinely provided for. We call it providence, right? You had the Dark Ages, but then all of a sudden you had Martin Luther. And you had John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli and William Tyndale. And you've got the Bible being written in the common tongue the ignorant, unwashed masses of Europe waking up and having a general enlightening experience to understand the word of God. A reformation takes place. And in certain places, other religions now are established at gunpoint. For example, you had the, the Puritans and the, and the pilgrims, the separatists in England, fast forward into the 1600s. They said the Church of England looks a whole lot like Roman Catholicism. So they fled. They said, we're, gonna, we're going to free ourselves from those bonds and establish a, our own colony. They first went to the Netherlands, then over to America. And while this was a wonderful, wonderful, but biblically, prophetically um, fulfilled event that took place, the Bible says that the earth would open up and swallow the flood that was seeking after the woman. And that represents not just the wilderness in Europe, but the coming to this land. Study BibleProphecyTruth.com. I don't have time to go into all of that. But when the, when the pilgrims and the Puritans and these original pioneers, these, these colonists came to this country, it was a diverse group of people. Some in Virginia were coming more for economic purposes. The New England colonies very much for religious purposes. But in many cases, they would now just enforce their Puritan religion and no dissenters were permitted. And so freedom of conscience hadn't fully come of age yet. But Rhode Island and the great hero, Roger Williams, one of my favorite people in history, founded Rhode Island and said, this is a Christian culture, but you're free to believe from the Bible and practice according to what you believe. He said, the government has no place legislating on the first four commandments. How somebody worships God, including the fourth commandment, their Sabbath, the biblical Sabbath being the seventh day of the week. You know, there were Seventh-day Baptists in the early colonies who they wouldn't have found a place in the Massachusetts and in, in Connecticut and places where at that time religious freedom was not permitted. Sunday observance was required. But Roger Williams said, now the first four commandments, hands off. The government has no province over them, no authority, no jurisdiction legislating on these matters. And that was the model, which also was followed in Pennsylvania, many of the southern colonies as well. 
that when it came time for the revolution and the foundation of this constitution, the idea was becoming more entrenched and established that this is a land of liberty. And that's why people fled to these shores. And when the British king and parliament were enacting legislation that was stripping the people of their liberties, Thomas Jefferson goes on in the rest of the Declaration of Independence with a whole litany of abuses that they had suffered. It's now a template. It's now an example to the world of what ought not to be done to a people. What a proper civil government does. You know what it does? It protects rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, it says. They're not to dictate our thoughts, our beliefs, our behaviors. They're not to micromanage, to socially engineer, to establish some sort of socialist utopian paradise by seizing the fruit of people's labor. All of this is a modern invention, which is really just an ancient resurrection of imperial domination. But with the freedoms we still have left, let us celebrate this day, July 4, 2016. And as we head on, into the subsequent years, who know who knows how many more of these July 4s we will celebrate. But this is one of my favorite holidays. I am thanking and praising the Lord today for religious liberty. Use the time we have left. Praise the Lord for that liberty and move forward doing the mission work to spread the everlasting gospel that he is a God, not just of freedom, but of redemption. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. The average American child will spend 15,000 hours in school and on schoolwork by the age of 18. That's about twice the amount of time spent in Finland, where students rank at the top of the world academically. But in recent decades in America, illiteracy has skyrocketed, high SAT scores have plummeted, even as the test was becoming easier, and American students' academic scores tanked when compared to students in other developed nations. Something is seriously wrong here. It's time to wake up, to come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. The DVD series is called Schooled. The deliberate agenda to reduce individuality, destroy intelligence, and re-engineer society. In Schooled, you'll hear it straight from the mouths of the founders of modern schooling themselves. They're quite proud of it. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. We are back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch. And this next news headline comes as no surprise. Although the more news that I see like this, the more that I get concerned. CBS Pittsburgh reports, Study 
college kids spend a fifth of class on phones instead of learning. According to a new study, college students are spending one-fifth of their time in class on their cell phones or digital devices when they should be learning. The study was done by the College of Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Researchers say the main culprit? Texting. Almost 9 out of 10 students reported that texting was their main diversion during class. About three quarters say that they emailed or checked the time on their phones. 70% reported checking social media such as Facebook. In fact, since this study has been done, Facebook is the number one diversion on the phone, whether you're scrolling through the news feed or doing Facebook Messenger. Nearly half of students reported surfing the web during class. One in ten spent class time playing games. The study was published in January in the Journal of Media Education. And indeed, media education is often an oxymoron. You find media interfering with education just as much as we see it enhancing education. In fact, I've got some more studies on that that I'll bring back at another time. But how about this one for... Those who enjoy a good long walk, or a short one for that matter, a brisk walk and simple exercise. I I liked this one. Gym bunnies are wasting their time, study says. Hitting the gym in the hope of burning up calories to lose weight can backfire as the body adapts to higher activity activity levels, according to recent research. So, gym bunnies as they call them gym junkies go into the gym people for hours a day working out it says the body adapts to the higher activity levels changing metabolism so that fewer calories are burned according to this study researchers measured the daily energy expenditure and activity levels of more than 300 men and women and those with moderate activity levels such as a daily daily walk to work and a trip to the gym twice a week were found to burn about 200 calories more per day than those living couch potato lifestyles. But after a certain threshold described by scientists as the sweet spot, the extra time working up a sweat made no difference to the amount of calories burned. Experts said it might explain why those who embark on gym routines in a bid to wait to to lose weight, often see weight loss hit a plateau after a few months. So, you know, this brings also in the importance of diet. You, you can't just eat as much as you want, whenever you want, whatever you want, and then expect to burn it off with, you know, uh, amplified levels of exercise. We want to have moderation in terms of physical exertion. And yeah, good, good, you know, hefty workout and getting that pulse rate up. That's good. But, you know, hours a day, every day for the the gym addict, it's going to have its ceiling in terms of its effect, uh, limitation. And so let's bring in some other things as well. How about this one? Lead scientist, Dr. Herman Ponser from the city of New York uh, University said findings show that exercise alone was not enough to prevent or reverse weight gain. He said he decided to explore the link between activity and energy expenditure after he worked among traditional hunter-gatherer societies in northern Tanzania. And here's what he said. He says the the Hadza, that's the people group, are incredibly active, walking long distances each day and doing a lot of hard physical work as part of their everyday life. Despite these high activity levels, we found that they had similar daily and energy expenditures to people living more sedentary, modernized lifestyles in the United States and Europe. That was a real surprise. The study measured the activity and food consumption of more, more than 300 men and women over the course of the study, over, over the week. 
They studied people for, for seven days, and the findings were published in the journal Current Biology, reinforcing the message that you cannot duck the importance of diet when trying to lose weight. However, they stressed that exercise does have a host of benefits for maintaining health. In fact, that understates the case. Exercise is the single most important thing you can do to transform your health. Dr. Ponser says, there is tons of evidence that exercise is important for keeping your bodies and minds healthy. Yes, your mind too. And this work does nothing to change that message. That message. So our study hasn't changed that fact. But what our work adds is that we need to focus on diet, particularly when it comes to managing our weight and preventing or reversing unhealthy weight gain. So just as the other study showed, you know, just high exertions of physical activity aren't going to do the whole trick for you. You've got to have the well-rounded whole health picture of a well-rounded lifestyle, improving the quality, the quantity, and the frequency of what we eat and being sure to get that exercise. Now, while we're on the health topic, I found this one to be really interesting from Green Child Magazine. Fluoride on the mind, drinking water, and your child's IQ. Could your drinking water be dumbing your kids down? And when you first read that, you're going, okay, well, this sounds like some off the wall, way out in left field type of thing. But let's read on. It says, last April, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services lowered its recommended level of fluoride in drinking water for the first time since issuing the recommendation for fluoride in 1962. So why has the U.S. government come and reversed this decades-old, 50-year-old consensus and program that we've got to have lots of fluoride added to the water to improve everybody's dental health. Well, now they're saying, nah, let's actually roll that back and not just a little bit, let's cut it in half. Why? A sharp rise in the rate of dental fluorosis in American teenagers. Between 1986 and 2004, the number of teens aged 12 to 15 showing signs of fluorosis rose from 22.6% to 40.7%. That's, that's a, a doubling in the number of teens getting dental fluorosis. While the general population, the number of moderate to, to severe fluorosis nearly tripled. So a doubling of that age group and then the general population tripling. Dental fluorosis refers to tooth discoloration, including white flecks and streaks. It is caused by overconsumption of fluoride as teeth are developed, developing under the gums. By itself, it is typically harmless, although in severe cases it can lead to pitting of the enamel. But it does indicate an elevated level of fluoride in the body. So what's the evidence on fluoride? You hear the arguments on either side of this. Should parents be concerned? Well, not according to the CDC. Their website states that, quote, experts have weighed the findings and quality of available evidence and concluded that there is no association between water fluoridation and any unwanted health effects other than dental fluorosis. Well, so there is some, but none other than that, they say. However, a recent meta-analysis by Harvard School of Public Health researchers questions the validity of this statement by the CDC. This was a review of 27 studies. A Harvard University meta-analysis of 27 research studies found that, quote, children in high fluoride areas had significantly lower IQ scores than those who lived in low fluoride areas. Among the 8,000 children analyzed within the first study, the average loss in IQ was equivalent to seven IQ points. 
Felipe Grandjean of HSPH, this is the Harvard School of Public Health, says, quote, Fluoride seems to fit in with lead, mercury, and other poisons that cause chemical brain drain. The effect of each toxicant may be small, but the combined damage on a population scale can be serious. So it's not just dental fluorosis, according to the Harvard School of Public Health. They're saying fluoride is a neurotoxicant, just like lead and mercury. And when you have just little bits of these, you get the synergistic effect. It starts to add up and it may not you know, totally ruin any individual person, but it's having a marked and measurable effect on reducing IQ in the high fluoride areas. Isn't that something? Speaking of things that are ruining the minds of people, it's not just what's going into our bodies. It's what's going into our minds. Are our children and our youth and adults feeding upon the word of God? Are we filling our minds with elevated, eternal, heavenly truths of the character of God, the meaning of the cross, the importance of the redemption of Jesus Christ in our lives? When you study the word of God and you trace out these grand themes of the conflict between Christ and Satan, of the plan of redemption as wrought out throughout the scriptures, uh, the final deceptions and, and controversies of the last days, understanding the present truths for our time and developing a sense of awareness of what's going on in our world as the prophecies are being fulfilled. These exercises are absolutely beneficial for the brain. And then, by contrast, when we simply plug ourselves into and take our cues from and feed upon the drivel of social media, Dr. Keith Albo asks the question, is social media fueling a national epidemic of teen suicide? The recent suicides of Rita Shedva and Hillary Kate Cuisin, both 17-year-old seniors at Plano East Senior High School in Plano, Texas, as well as the suicides of two students at a prestigious all-boy preparatory high school in Bronx, New York, underscore the disturbing increase in suicide amongst young people, up at least 13% from 2010. I have a theory, says psychiatrist Dr. Keith Albo. For some time now, I have noted that young people, including adolescents, teenagers, and those in their 20s, are disconnected from the reality of their own existences. Did you hear that phrase? That was a big one. He's saying youth are disconnected from the reality of their own existence. Facebook, Twitter, Tinder, and the like have made them think of themselves as merely mini-reality TV versions of themselves. Too many of them see their lives as a series of flickering photos or quick videos. They need constant doses of admiration and constant confirmation of their tenuous existence, which comes in the form of Facebook likes and Twitter retweets. This substitution of media for real meaning has not only been shown to weaken their self-esteem, or I would say a better term like their sense of self-worth as image bearers and children of God, their, their, their need for affirmation in social media has caused them to have a lower sense of their value in God's eyes and has lowered their ability to sustain themselves through adversity. And it can cheapen the value then that they assign to their own life in general. 
If all the world is just a stage of pixels and young people see themselves as their tweets and Snapchat photos, that's the extent of who they are, then taking a fist full of pills could seem like no more than the equivalent of shutting down a Facebook account or turning off an iPhone. Did you catch the gravity of that statement? He's saying psychiatrist who works with this age group, Dr. Keith Albo, is saying that the youth are increasingly only seeing themselves as the social media versions of themselves. And there's no big deal in cutting off that from the world. Because life has been cheapened and merely just digitized. But if you want to know your true value, it's not the social networking persona. It's the value that Jesus places upon you when he died on the cross for you to have eternal life. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. We read about a false worship system in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. The three worthies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down. They stood strong for the Lord. But there's a new kingdom of Babylon, and this kingdom is not an actual nation, but what this is is a movement and institution in the last days. Let's take a look at some similarities. Babylon of Daniel 3, there was an image, and they had to bow down before that image. There was a death decree imposed upon those who refused. Now let's compare it with Revelation. We see the phrase Babylon return. Again, we hear about an image that is made to the beast, but this is another movement, another system where people are given a death decree if they do not participate in the false worship system. Brought to you by Belt of Truth Ministries.org.